Welcome to Banter Radio. I'm Will Sherwin. On this episode, you will hear a discussion I had with contributors of Painted Brain, a Los Angeles-based organization whose mission is to create lasting community-based solutions to mental health challenges and the impact of social injustice through arts, advocacy, and enterprise. I sat down with them as part of the LA Pomo Gathering, organized by Kathy Adams on October 29, 2017, on the University of Southern California campus. For more info on Painted Brain, visit their website at paintedbrain.org. For the show notes and links to full versions of the songs we discuss, go to my website at sfbantr.org. Enjoy the show. And some of you could start by saying your name and something about your relationship with the painted brain and maybe the, any art practices you're involved with. Uh, my name is Kazuki Takizawa. I'm a Japanese glass artist based in Los Angeles. I've known Dave and Eli from T- Painted Brains when I was organizing a, an event for my solo show at the uh, Craft in America Center in Beverly Hills. They have been very supportive of my arts. I'm James Giaquinto. I help run the community center at Painted Brain and keep in contact with the membership, help them attend all the groups, and I keep the calendar at the Painted Brain. My name is Tristan Scremen. I'm the community liaison for Painted Brain. I've been part of Painted Brain since 2012 and a part of a number of art projects with Painted Brain. Hello, my name is Naomi Barrett and I am a person who is a person at the Painted Brain. I speak often in more logical terms, I'm sure. I'm a little rusty. Uh, I run art groups at multiple drop-in centers for young people in transitional age, blah, blah, blah. And I just make stuff happen. And uh, I'm Will Sherwin. So I do a narrative therapy podcast that's up there. And I've done about 11 episodes so far. So if you're interested, you can go to that website and check it out. And I'm recording this to put on the website. I came across Painted Brain through Kathy Adams, who got really excited about it and talked about the ways they're using art and mental health in innovative ways to build community, to reduce isolation. And it's really become an organization that has been inspiring me. Uh, Although I don't know a ton about them, I've been to a music jam they do at the VA uh, here in Los Angeles, and it was a ton of fun. We played music with the vets. Kathy brought me there. And I went to their new headquarters on Friday, and someone led a creative writing workshop and mindfulness groups. So I'm excited to hear more and kind of f- flesh it out more for myself. But I also thought it might be really useful for therapists and those of us who work in mental health to know more about the painted brain, both as a resource for ourselves to develop community, to do art practice, but also a resource for clients or even friends and family. So I guess my first question would be, like, if we are able to talk about the painted brain and represent it well, like, who would you like to hear this conversation? Who would you like to especially hear about the painted brain? I really would like other people in the LA community and around California to learn about Painted Brain who are struggling with their own mental health. Um, I I think one of the things Painted Brain was able to do is create some community. A lot of mental health places that I've been in, I've been in a variety of settings, state hospital, LA County jail, community settings. And a lot of times one of the big things that are lacking is community because of HIPAA laws and various laws. 
even therapists who want to connect, let's say they have two clients, they think, oh, this client would really help this client and they could meet together and they could, they're not allowed to do that, right? You can't talk, you know, I've gone to a therapist's office where you don't even see who goes in before you. You go into this room and you don't know who was there, you know? And so that, that isolation is one of the things that pain and brain breaks down. And I, I would like to spread that vision to um, other people having those struggles, but also to um, the general public. I mean, it'd be cool to, you know, cross fertilize the communities right you know it's like there's artists who are working who don't have mental health issues who also might want to benefit and therapists too you know therapists throughout the the county could refer us to people or who could come to our space and and be a part of hello so i would yeah what was the question well, people who people I don't know about who would you especially like to hear well, this conversation out well definitely my younger self i know that for me I felt the I, the sense of isolation very strongly, um, especially when I came back to let's say my parents' house after having you know gone on a run in the streets, running around and feeling like persecuted for what clearly other people could see on me that I could not hide. And like I grew up a lot on the streets and I traveled around the United States. And the one thing that I was looking for was sanctuary. And I think that that's something that is really strongly bigified. What do you call it? Sanctuary is a good thing. It's like big. <laughs> it's multiplying inside of the painted brain in that the groups that we lead are a lot of, um, you don't necessarily have to be a participant in order to uh, participate. You could just sit there and it would be okay. And that's something that I was looking for when I was younger. And you know, multiple levels of being able to communicate. I don't have to necessarily come in person. I have, you know, the magic of the interweb to help me, the print publications, and I feel like I'm being a part of because, oh, my stuff's in there. Or like the newsletter, oh, I did something and I forgot, and now everybody knows I'm so special. I'm so, ooh. <laughs> and also for the people who uh, are in their jobs trying to help the people because the one main thing about community and collaboration is that there has been tended to be a wall. Oh, look, it's Angela. There has been tended to be a wall. Oh, and it's Mr. Handsome. There has been intended to be a wall between the people who are helping and the people who are being helped. And really, it's, a tra it's like a teacher-student thing. You know, the teacher learns from the student. Oh, bah. And um, that sense of community is really embraced. Hey, embraced. There it is. In in at the painted brain, there is no sense of hierarchy or outsiderness, unless you really really dig that. <laughs> Could you give us a sense of you know what what the brain brain does and maybe what it hopes to do in the future, and also your location in Los Angeles. So we're very happy to have acquired a brand new space right in mid-city at 5980 West Pico Boulevard in LA. It's a great central location and people, our friends who, where we didn't have a location during the summer are finding us and we're getting a lot of people, the neighbors are coming in and we're getting a lot of people who are just walking by, noticing the space, being curious about it. It's fantastic because it's fulfilling a lot of dreams for us. Having our own space, we're our own company now, we're our own nonprofit, and we're able to expand the way we always dreamed that we would expand. That's being inclusive. 
with everybody who arrives. Anybody who arrives at the space, we call it a community center because that's the easiest thing to call it. Anybody who arrives there gets the opportunity to create what they want to create. The first question that they usually get when they walk in is, what would you like to do? Anybody gets there, they have maybe an idea of mind of something they want to create or make or some sort of activity that they want to participate in. The people who are there, whether they're staff or not, facilitate that activity, facilitate that creation. It's not a hierarchical thing. You don't have to go see the clinician and do your intake and we find out all this stuff about your history and your diagnosis and all those things. No, you just walk in and you're automatically a brain. You, you meet all the qualifications. You're aware of your mental health and you have some ability to creatively express yourself. So automatically you get to contribute to what's going on in the space. You get to determine what it looks like, what activities happen there, how you engage, your level of engagement. If you just want to sit in the corner and observe, that's cool. You're probably going to get asked if you want to participate, but you're free to say no. And if you want to take center stage and uh, facilitate a group or teach some sort of art technique or do some sort of activity, you get the opportunity to do that also. At this point in the conversation, Angela Tuckerman, lead clinician of Painted Brain, arrives, joins the conversation, and introduces herself in a couple minutes. Well, that was James. So James is really the person who oversees our community space. Um, so he was the perfect person to explain that portion of what we do to you. So we do a lot of stuff, actually. So that's really the what I would say the heart and the core of what Painted Brain is, is the community space and center. Um, we also have another space online. So we're in the online world. We're very social media heavy and um, have a website. We wanted to have an online presence, paintedbrain.org, yes, because one of our goals is to end stigma uh, against mental illness. And the online space is really the best space to do that. Um, and it's also a way for us to reach out to people who are isolated and use the internet as a way to connect with other people. Another thing is that we really want to see ourselves as a sort of a supplemental service, an additional service to the traditional individualized care. Um, something that our founder Dave really noticed as a clinician, he's been a clinician for 20 years now, is that individual therapy can only go so far. And it's obviously something that's incredibly important, but it doesn't add the importance of having a social network and circle and supports and that is you know one of the most important things to having positive mental health is to have those social supports so that's why painted brain um, was created in the first place so saying all this because one of the things that we do do is go into other agencies and provide art groups and a way to help people um, in agencies start talking to each other uh, most recently, we also um, were given a grant by DMH Tay Division, and what we've been doing is going into their housing units and helping um, improve the environment of the houses. So that is uh, really something special that we have been providing. Again, a lot of these kids, you know, they're living next to each other, but they hate each other. They're fighting. I mean, not getting along, and, and we really want to use art as a way to help people 
um, start making those connections and have that common ground. Is there anything else we should add? Oh, I have to introduce myself, sorry. Hi, I'm Angela. I'm the lead clinician with Painted Brain. Angela Tuckerman, my last name. I actually was an intern with the Painted Brain. I went to a USC School of Social Work right down there. And during my MSW program, I interned my second year. So I went off into the world and worked in homeless services for about two and a half years. Um, I worked in housing. And when I would house my clients, I would notice then what? What happens now? A lot of my clients would isolate, were not part of communities or were taken out of their communities. I was working in Skid Row for a while. And then, you know, we would take clients from there and put them back into the community. So housing them in South LA, East LA, you know, wherever, and they were really kind of pulled from what they knew. A lot of the times my clients would end up being at home, watching TV all day, having really nothing to do or sense of purpose. Painted Brain always kept coming back. I always kept sending clients there because that is the sense of purpose that was missing for them. So after two and a half years of homeless services, I decided to go back full time to Painted Brain. Um, my heart has always lied with it and I really believe in what we do. In the community space, like we really are all contributors and I don't believe that there's a lead clinician or a service coordinator or any of that. But another service that we provide, for example, is that I um, am providing therapy services with a team of interns to a South LA, LA high school that's right here. So again, that type of title is important to have in these particular situations of how we navigate to the rest of the world. We love having our own little bubble, but when we go out, you know, we still need to sort of describe who we are, where we're coming from, what our background is, things like that. Some of the groups that we run that are sourced out, they do want clinicians running the groups. We usually do it with a co-lead and we always want to have the peer leaders, but that is just the way of the world right now. Um, so I think that's why we need to still have the distinctions when we're trying to describe ourselves. But within our community space, like that is just not at all how we operate. But again, we're trying to pave the way for something new and different. And, you know, I think people are going to have to get used to, to that. tell you a little bit about my history with Penny Brain. I had my breakdown some years back and I was recommended to go there. I was referred to Penny Brain. I was a client. I was at a wellness center and at wellness center the the director there happened to be an artist so he was really into using arts for therapy and he noticed my uh, artistic talents and he said hey I know Dave he Dave Leon he's at the painted brain and there are a bunch of artists and they're really cool so you might want to go down there and see how you like it so I went there and I was really quiet and I've been there for so long and helping to create what it looks like now the cool thing about Dave's approach is that what people want to do his response is always sure let's do it right I want to run this group or I want to take painted brain to this other facility over here. Great. Let's do it. I want to get a new space. Uh, we should be our own company. Great. Let's do it. We should be a magazine. 
uh, Tristan, do you want to tell a little bit about the history in that? Sure. Painted Brain started how long? About 10 years ago? More than 10 years, right? Maybe 12. 10 or 12 years. It started as a magazine. No, it started as a group. started as a group that made a magazine. Yeah. You're right, you're right. Dave was like, you know, all these people need to have some way to come together. So he was, I think it was a D. Yeah. D. Hirsch first and then he, uh, combined D. them. D. Yeah, exactly. So he had this, just had this group called Magazine Group and whoever wanted to work on the magazine could come to the group. So they came together, they created a magazine and that was like the genesis of the people meeting together, like creating a community out of the magazine. And then uh, it went like that for years. Um, there, there was fashion shoot. Eventually we got a space. We were downtown and then we were three places downtown. And then another guy, Eli, also named David. So it's kind of confusing. We got David and Dave. But Eli um, joined in too and he started doing web design. And uh, it just built like that, slowly built like that. And over the past, I think since 2012 until now, that's when I've been there. It's just been amazing transformation. I mean, the, 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 the annual budget has multiplied itself by three or four hundred percent. We employed people now. Um, I'm one of them. And we have groups all over the county that we're running. Um, we also have a speakers bureau. So like this is almost like a speakers bureau here. Like people yeah. talk about mental health and, and try and break the stigma. And, and we, we go to a variety of different settings. Like we're at schools, we're at hospitals, we're at uh, high schools and colleges. People get to talk about mental health. Like I'm a person with schizophrenia. I think we're kind of an invisible population still. You know, I mean, I've had people tell me, oh, uh, this is the first person I met with schizophrenia. I'm like, well, probably not, but uh, <laughs> you, know, you probably didn't know. You know, you just didn't know. Or, or all the people they encounter. Uh, and also a lot of times the people that they encounter are people in crisis. They never encounter people who are doing well. So there's that single story of, of schizophrenia, you know, that you, you have to be homeless, talking to yourself, eating out of the trash, you know, this kind of thing, which, you know, is the experience of some people, but not all people who have schizophrenia, you know. So I really appreciate the POMO gathering, too. I was in the morning session, the afternoon session, the introduction to the therapy. It's just amazing, like postmodernism and all of these ideas are, I think, are very much alive at Painted Brain. You know, the idea that you can tell your own story, the idea that um, you are not totalized experience, right? You don't, I'm not a schizophrenic, you know, I'm a person maybe who has some difficulties and has overcome those difficulties, you know, and I think a lot of the solidarity building that POMO therapists do, and I think a lot of the, um, the, the reauthoring, I'm learning all kinds of language I didn't know anything about, and it's super fascinating, and it's really good, and I think, I think it's very much in line with a lot of the principles of, of pain and brain, and I think pain and brain is still growing, it's still, still in a very young phase. Um, we've only been our own nonprofit for a few months, like one. one month or something. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> we're super young in our process. Uh, but I, I would like to give maybe to Kazuki too. Yeah. To talk. I'd love to talk to you because you about your experience. And I was really moved by your work, Breaking the Silence. And I hope to put a video of that on the show notes. I'm wondering about what Painted Brand has meant to you. And also just if you've had some thoughts as an artist, as one who works with the medium of glass of how the medium kind of informs the way you think about mental health or about people or about cells and what your thoughts are. So maybe I'll uh, explain a little bit more about what I do. I, you know, use glass to, uh, as part of my vocabulary to speak about my diagnosis with mental health uh, um, bipolar disorder. I actually have known Dave for not, not quite a long time, maybe for th this past year. Um, 
I've gotten to know Painted Brain really, really well. Through my um, art activities that I do, Painted Brain has given me a lot of opportunities um, in terms of like public speaking opportunities. Um, I just came to here to USC to speak to occupational therapy students. Eli was trying to organize people to speak for in front of a class. So in that way, I'm kind of like supported by Painted Brain in a very unique way, I think. And uh, I've been really thankful uh, that they're so so open to having me uh, be part of this really exciting, you know, journey to to create to to bring people together. And um, what I love about the team here is that you know everybody is so open about their struggles. Their attitude is just so courageous. I don't see that too much if you go out in the public. I think that's where. I was drawn to mo- mostly for the community. I think Pain and Brain not just help people who attend workshops or come to the gatherings or the space, but I think it helps people who organize it as well. I think uh, it's a pretty uh, strong group of people, and and there's some somebody who I really want to be around. Thank you, Suzuki. Along with that, James, I heard you mention that you, you don't talk about clients; you talk about contributors. And that's a distinction I haven't heard made in any other organization. And I wanted to ask you, what, what goes into thinking about clients versus contributors and why you make that distinction? This kind of started a couple of years back. Before that, everybody was, uh, I don't know what we called it. It was, was members? It was members for the longest time, right? So everybody became a member of Painted Brain. And it, it felt very inclusive. It felt like you were part of something. And that was great. And it kind of evolved from that. And um, because we all knew that we didn't want to be called clients. We weren't clients. We weren't paying for services or thinking that we were just receiving things from a professional. Uh, We're providing social interaction. We're providing activities to gather around. We went from client and then the the whole field started calling us uh, consumers right and we really didn't like that one because we didn't want to think about consuming something like we're just eating pills all day like that's all we do right <laughs> that's part of what we're breaking out of it's really empowering for a person to be acknowledged as a contributor and that's where we landed on it and it really stuck and we came to this decision as a body and it was offered during our community meeting. We invite everybody and anybody to attend our community meeting that happens on Mondays at one o'clock, one o'clock. And anybody can come in and be part of that conversation. So the idea of being a contributor really empowered each individual at Painted Brain to put something into it, to make some kind of an offering because everybody's got something that, that they want to give. It feels so good to give something to somebody else and realize that that's a valuable thing that you just gave, a valuable thing. You, you contributed to a thing. You made it grow. You made it happen. Do you remember when there was the whole thing between the provider, consumer, prosumer? Oh, yeah, prosumer. And that then the whole one. stigma that was within the field, the professional field, who is like, uh-huh. yeah. Hi guys, so this is Angela again. Well, I just wanted to add to this because I 
I am a prosumer. And one of the things that I love about Painted Brain and love being a contributor is that I've also been on the other side of the couch. I also have a diagnosis. And we're not talking about that in the mental health field. You know, one of the things that really shocked me actually about going to social work school was realizing that we didn't talk about our diagnoses and our problems. And, you know, a lot of us have them. That's why we're in this field to begin with. I, you know, found myself a little bit confused out in the world in these agencies where I am, you know, a person with bipolar as well. And I cannot talk about that. And I cannot rely on my colleagues to support me and be open about it. And it felt very strange because it's almost as if I was living an inauthentic life. And something Painted Brain and Dave, especially, he's always been very open about his own struggles. And that, you know, really has allowed me to be open about my own struggles as well. You know, that's why I love the word contributor as well, is why I'm not any different than anybody else sitting up here. It's really important for us to be authentic. Um, you know, not obviously in the therapeutic realm, we can't go around saying like, okay, I have bipolar. That's just not how therapy works, right? But at the same time, like, you know, we, we really do need to just be humans as well and be there for each other. How can we expect our clients to be honest with us about what's going on with them if we can't even be honest with each other? And that's something that Painted Brain is really encouraging. And it's a place where I can be who I am. Um, where it's not something that I was able to do in other agencies. And so I'm very proud to say I'm a contributor and that I have also been on the other side of the couch and that I can also talk to, to these guys and they can support me in those ways as well. So that's something that's really special about Painted Brain, I think. I want to add one thing. There's a guy, David Denborough, who's a narrative practitioner in Australia. And one of the things he said is that one of the powerful things he's found is helping to enable contribution helping to enable people to make a contribution. And I remember hearing that if someone has something, a skill they want to teach in a group, you will help them lead a group and have a stipend for them. And that, is, that, is that still the case? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's one way you very tangibly enable them to contribute. Uh, being able to put back in the stipend program is something that we've been able to bring back now that we're our own company. Uh, that was part of the struggle that we had in the last couple of years. Thanks. My name's Naomi. Hi. Hello. Okay, so um, speaking of, you know, encouraging whatever it is that you said with that Australian guy. Yeah. Yeah. That thing. <laughs> um, oftentimes in my in my groups, like I, I run a, a weekly art group. Sometimes it's structured more uh, depending on the facility. Sometimes it's just like a bunch of stuff and then it's just a sanctuary bubble within a chaotic, crazy drop-in center. And one of the things that I found really powerful in speaking with the different types of populations there is that being able to break down their assumptions about me like half the time they think that I'm their age I'm always being asked out (laughs) and it's so nice (laughs) I'm like 17 anyway (laughs) and then the other time you know they're they're encouraged to explain to me what their sometimes radicalized thinking can be and sometimes very violent thinking can be because I come from a different culture that they don't understand. I always fall back on my Japanese Buddhist, Shinshu Buddhist, uh, and Shinto predominant upbringing. And they're like, okay, well then you're not part of the Judeo-Christian world. I'm going to tell you all about my ideas about how things are. And it neutralizes that topic. And a lot of the times what these kids want is just to be heard. 
and then to being able to hear themselves say what they're saying helps them process that you know whatever emotion that's behind whatever they're thinking and and brings it down to a understandable and logical level so whatever whatever that makes sense at the end <laughs> i picked out a couple of songs i thought have lyrics that might be fun to talk about and i thought i'd play that and see what happens this first one is by a band called morphine from boston anybody know morphine it's a song called my brain my brain was out of tune My whole brain was out of tune. I don't know how to tune a brain, do you? So I took it into a brain shop. I took it into a brain shop and they took one look at it and they said, well, we're going to have to rebuild the whole head. I said, well, do what you gotta do. When I got my brain back, it didn't work right. When I got my brain back, it didn't work right. I haven't had a good idea since I got it fixed. So I have some thoughts about that song, but I want to see if that took you any place, made you think of any aspect of your work or any aspects of the way we talk about brains. You know, I, it brings up like abnormal psychology, right? Like as an undergrad, I remember taking that course and I remember seeing the videos of people with schizophrenia. And strangely, I identify with some of those people, you know, when they, when they show the videos. So I think I do have an abnormal brain, Abby normal, right? Abby normal brain. Um, I don't know what that means or if that's good or bad, but it, it's something that I do experience. Um, and I think that for a lot of people who don't fit into the box, um, that means like, you know, hospitalization and, you know, forced medication. This kind of stuff is very common for people who like, like the singer, you know, have some kind of thing that doesn't fit into the box. I don't want to label it good or bad because I don't think, it, it is good or bad. I think it's just something that doesn't fit. And a, a lot of times, at least in our culture, you know, if you don't fit, that's, that's usually pathology. That's abnormal. I don't, I don't think it should be abnormal, but I, th I think that is a common thing. Hi, I'm speaking again. I'm Naomi. Hello, this is Naomi. <laughs> you know, what it made me think of was my experience using illicit drugs and being like, oh, well, I'm just going to self-medicate with these drugs and see if that will fix what I'm ailing. And instead, it threw me into a place over a number of years, into a place so far out from where I could come back. And then, of course, I came back. But um, like I hear often that people, especially young people who want to either, you know, like esca the escapism of, the, of the, uh, the perfect answer that is drugs, how it doesn't actually work for them. And when they come out of their experience they realize oh that wasn't that wasn't good at all <laughs> that, that definitely wasn't good at all huh and then there are those who you know believe in that 
hype? What is it? The mythology that, you know, to be genius, to be uh, artistic genius, musical genius, writer genius, whatever genius, that you have to be uh, abnormal brain and, you know, drugs will push me into that place of disbalance. And that's total BS as well. I mean, only from my personal experience. That's what that made me think of. And, uh, dude, yeah. Love what your mama gave ya. <laughs> Dang. Uh, one idea that we always keep coming back to, a theme that we keep coming back to, is uh, like, like this guy was saying, I took my brain to the brain shop, right? It's, it's oh, God, Ent entregando. What, what's, the, what's the word? Yeah, yeah. You, you turn yourself into the clinic so that you can get fixed, right? Okay, give me my prescription. Tell me what I am. Tell me how I'm broken. Fix me up. Show me how to be like, be normal, be like everybody else, and then send me on my way and, and hope that I land right. Uh, and that hardly ever works. The thing that we keep coming back to at the Painted Brain is what is your superpower? So using this different perspective that we have, this different way of observing the world. How is that beneficial for us? How does that give us a unique look at the world in a way that other people might benefit from hearing? So that's our individual superpowers. I was also just looking at our board here and everybody up here is a fantastic artist. Uh, it just really amazing just because I, I know each of your work and it's really amazing but you don't have to be you don't have to be a fantastic art artist to be a contributor at Painted Brain you can be however you want you can do stick figures if that's your thing because everything starts with stick figures anyways everything starts with lines yeah it's about being a good human being yeah right that's an art in itself right I, I wanted to double back to a little bit of the beginning of the conversation. Who do I want to have here this podcast? Anybody who's interested and might not be so uh, proficient in the field of mental health. So people who are curious about what mental health is and how it functions and what DMH does and, and what psychotherapists do, how they interact, uh, how the people respond to it. If you're curious about that, come to the pain and brain and find out, right? Because you'll hear all the stories and you'll get the experience. I and, and everybody at pain and brain is so proud of our internship program. We get interns from the big schools, right? And they, <laughs> I, I don't want to promote any one particular school, you know, you get in trouble that way. <laughs> it's a variety of schools. And they always have such a great experience, maybe by the end. At the beginning, it's very disorienting because it's always, well, what are we doing? How does this function? What, what's my role? What's the script? I don't get it. It's so disorienting. <laughs> And uh, by the end, they realize, oh, it's person to person. Oh, okay, we're just dealing with people. We're just figuring out how to communicate with other people. Uh, likewise, with our internship program, we, we uh, invite people to volunteer and get the same experience. And uh, through our volunteers, we're able to offer those groups where we go into other places that don't get therapy, and we're able to offer those services now especially.
Yeah, so we actually have a lot of different types of interns. So um, we have MSW interns, which are the ones that I oversee and Dave oversees. Um, so we're able to be like their field instructors, uh, one, and they do therapy at the school I was talking about. They help us run groups, but then they also do like the business side of things. So it's kind of whatever they're interested in doing, macro stuff. So like we also get macro MSW students. I have one right now and she's our events coordinator. That's what she decided she was passionate about and that's what she wanted to work on this year. So there's a lot of different opportunities. Now we actually have our first OT doctoral student. She is actually expanding our OT services. Um, So basically OT, it was actually birthed out of mental health, trying to help people with mental health issues and developmental disabilities, things like that. Um, So what they really do is help with their daily living activities. And it's very individualized. Someone might come into someone's home who has some kind of impairment or you know, disability, whatever it might be, physical, mental, or both. And they might teach them how to cook or how to socialize with people or take them grocery shopping. So within the painted brain realm, it actually brings something really special because we are so community oriented and it is, you know, really not so much about the individual. But what this service will provide is people who really do need help integrating into our community. Um, They'll have that individualized one-on-one time with an OT provider. I have a great example actually of an outreach worker uh, reached out to me yesterday and told me that there's a client that he has who's living on the streets um, who's really interested in painted brain. He got to go one time when we were at the Peer Resource Center to see what we were about, but apparently he is incredibly anxious and is very nervous about going to painted brain. And the provider himself said he's having trouble like connecting him to painted brain. So what the doctoral student will be doing is actually going out, meeting with him on the streets, meeting him where he's at, and kind of see what she can do to help bring him into our community. Yeah, so that's really special. And actually, it's so interesting. We realize Painted Brain is totally with the OT world. It really matches very well, almost better than social work. So it's kind of interesting. So we really wanted to expand those services. What other interns do we get? NJP. NJP, Neighborhood Justice Program. That is basically a program for people who have done some very minor offense and, you know, might have been arrested. Um, So an example would be maybe shoplifting. But, you know, it was a one-time offense and it was something silly like a pack of gum from Target or something like that. So basically to get their records expunged, they don't actually have to go to the police. They don't have to go to court. They go to this special counsel in their neighborhood um, and they decide what the best punishment should be. And so we've partnered up with them and we have people come and volunteer for us for however many hours they were given. And that's a way for them to um, not have anything on their record. I wanted to ask also about you know this song and the and the brain. It made me think about the ways we talk about brains and mental health. And often it's really about healthy brain and unhealthy brain. And I think that limits the possibilities of care for people and what would help people. Because you look for a brain expert or someone who's an expert at healing brains. And you didn't name your organization the healthy brain. You named it the painted brain. And I wonder why, what went into that consideration of calling the painted brain instead of the healthy brain? Or how do you th- come to think about that? To me, it's very evocative of a different approach, paint to brain. <laughs> have you thought about that? Anyone have any thoughts about that? I don't know that any of us was out The first group came together and called themselves the painted brain. None of us, yeah, none of us were there. 
And Dave said, great, because that's how Dave is. You know, I come to him. I'm like, can we, you know, take an art card out and outreach to homeless people? He's like, yeah, go for it. So what does it mean to me? I really, a lot came up for me when we were personally, when we were listening to these lyrics, especially the part about it didn't work right, the brain didn't work right, and that it needs to get fixed. That's an idea. It is so... It's something that I really identify with. Growing up, I always felt like there was something wrong with me. I think everyone probably feels that way. Um, I'm not the only one. But I always knew that there was just something strange about the way my brain worked. Um, and I just never really quite could figure it out. But it was that self-stigmatization of what is wrong with me and I need to fix it. Something that... I sort of learned along the way, and especially at Painted Brain, is that there is nothing wrong with my brain. I actually really like my brain. Sometimes it does a huge disservice to me when it decides to go totally bonkers, but I really like the way my brain works. And I think there's a lot of assets to, you know, the way it works with my disorder, or whatever you want to call it. I mean, I don't even like calling it that. Um, you know, one of them is that I'm an incredibly sensitive person and that I'm incredibly observant. And I do think that comes from my, my mental health issues. Um, and I appreciate that. So I don't want to fix that part of me, if that makes sense, or that part of my brain. And so going back to these lyrics is, yeah, sometimes it feels like my brain isn't working the way that I would like it to. So I can feel like, you know, a normal human or so I can feel at my best let's call it that so we take all those other words out but it's definitely not something that I think needs to be fixed and I think that's the idea of the painted brain that word for me is like okay we have these like colorful brains they're not all the same they're different you know it's like an art piece no one piece is the same no one painting is the same um, and that's something that we should really appreciate and not try to all make the same color or all the you know what's a healthy one healthy brain for my healthy brain could be different from James's healthy brain. You know, it's not going to look the same at all. Yeah, I appreciate all that. And I, I was going to say, too, that Painted Brain does advocacy, too. And um, one of the awesome things that we did was we had this Instagram project where we, we drew something and then we had like a caption that like kind of did a reversal, some kind of reversal about the traditional notion of who's healthy and who's unhealthy. And uh, one of the quotes was uh, Christian Murdy, who's a s sort of a cultural theory scholar, I guess. Is, I don't know what his exact title is, but he had this phrase that uh, being well adjusted to a profoundly sick world is not necessarily a sign of health. Right. I mean, just because you're not well adjusted doesn't mean you're not healthy. You know, so I mean, we live in a pretty sick world. You can walk down the street, you'll see someone starving, digging out of the trash. Uh, you'll see, you know, people in jail, like how many incarceration nation, you know, we got this terrible. We got tons of problems, you know, so just because you're well adjusted does not mean you're healthy. You know, it might it might mean you're healthy. That's true. Uh, but just because you're not well adjusted, conversely, just because you're not well adjusted doesn't necessarily mean you're unhealthy. And, and there was like a whole bunch of those reversals. I don't remember. I think we had like 15 or 20. And what was cool about it is people made artwork and it was a photograph. It was an image coupled with like a, a, a phrase. And, and you could probably find those on our Instagram 
if you if you friend us on Instagram, if you guys are into that stuff, I see like things like that when Painted Brain does stuff like that. I think of that's painting the brain, right? That's like like the brain is everywhere, right? That it's like this idea that our image or our knowledge, understanding how we understand the world is everywhere. And as we go around painting it, that's that's what we do. We paint this understanding. We we encode it. We sort of give it a certain kind of life by painting it and and creating it. talk focus and art is another way to represent things and I have a quote here from Dave Leon who said the really cool thing about art is it allows people to talk about difficult topics and allows people to come together around difficult topics you know, seeing Kazuki sing some of your work about breaking the silence and I don't know the name of it the one where you made an egg and you drop it and then you put it back together I'm just wondering about is art you know, your preferred medium to express topics that may be difficult to talk about in words yeah yeah, definitely. Art is, I think, my favorite language when it comes to like expressing my emotions. You know, I grew up speaking Japanese, so English is my second language, and I'm probably understood you guys like maybe eighty <laughs> percent. So when it comes to you know expressing myself just through my hands, uh, it was pretty natural thing for me. And you know, I found glass uh, when I was in college, and since then I have been speaking about what I go through through objects and installations. It first started out as just making objects that were a reflection of my emotions. And then you got these art critiques that you have at school where you have to talk about the art. And so that's when I really uh, had the opportunity to grow as a person to to express through words as well and um, to explain what I was you know making. At first I really didn't know what I was making. I was making you know, with lines or with forms or movement, I was trying to express something. And I knew it, you know, somewhere in my head, like why I was doing what I was doing. But throughout my career as a glass artist, it's been like 12 years since I first touched glass. But yeah, it's kind of like my speech has kind of developed into this one message. You know, as I learned more about myself and with my diagnosis with bipolar disorder, that added to the story in my art. And um, art has been there for me, and it's been a really good way for me to release some of my uh, things that I want to release. I wonder if you could talk a little about the breaking the silence piece. You know, it struck me that expressing about yourself, but also there's multiple glass vessels there that you were talking about, about what it's like when... <laughs> The water gets overflowing and, and breaks, and it seems like it was also a larger circle than just yourself, too. It was a larger social um, issue that you're talking about. I wonder if you could tell people about the, that piece. So Breaking the Silence piece was an installation piece that I made in North Carolina. I made a short video of it so that it's more accessible to people. It consisted of maybe about a hundred clear vessels that were set on a table, and they were all off-centered and it was broken on top and it was open. So um, I made this rain system over the table where it, over like two hour period it dripped water 
on top of the table and then you know the you know vessels uh they filled up eventually and then you know started falling and then eventually over like two hour period um everything fell and most of them broke so that was uh uh really inspired by my experience of taking care of my uh younger brother who uh was going through some tough time and he was very suicidal at the time um he's healthy now so it's a good story so i use like glass in that kind of way to kind of bring awareness on what's going on in the world and what's not talked about in the world i was researching around that time when i was creating creating the installation that the suicide is is the 10th leading cause of death in united states and it's much higher than um homicide so i just felt like people don't really talk about this and then that's not helping the situation so my message is pretty simple it's just talk about it sometimes to people who you trust you know so you can grow like a compassionate uh, community with a you know compassionate heart yeah, I was personally very moved by that piece. Like I said, I want to put it in the show notes so people can see it. So thank you. Tristan, you and I talked about sharing a kind of personal story about navigating the mental health system, and I'd be really interested to know, you know about what was helpful and what was not helpful. I first got in the mental health system when I was 20 years old in 1993. I'm 44 now. I've been through the forensic system. I had violence in my past. So I became violent against another person. I also tried to commit suicide several times and was very close. And both of those violent incidents got me in the forensic mental health system. So it was difficult to navigate, very difficult. Schizophrenia at different times in my life, it really robbed me of the ability to reason. So it's hard to make a good decision if you don't have the ability to tell the truth from the false. You know, I, th- I had a lot of complex delusions and I had a lot of paranoia and, you know, I had a lot of uh, strange beliefs and it was difficult to navigate those systems. Also, when I went from the forensic system to the community system, I was very nervous. You know, I was very afraid that maybe I'm going to be hospitalized again. Maybe I'm going to go through violence again. I don't know what I could say other than there was good and bad people. You know, there's good and bad people everywhere, first of all. It's not like the forensic system had a lot of terrible people and the community system had a lot of good people. Not necessarily the case. Uh, There were really great people in the forensic system too, even though it was a a very difficult environment to be in. I think the people that just took time to listen, took a moment and recognized their own perspective and got out of the way of their own self and, you know, allowed me to be who I was. I think those were really, really good clinicians. And sometimes they weren't the doctors or the psychologists, you know, sometimes it was a psych tech or, you know, at different times in my life too, you know, a couple of times when I was, the first time I was forcibly hospitalized, I didn't want to sign in. And there was a guy just taking out the trash and he said, just go ahead, sign in kid. And for some reason, because that person was completely disinterested, I believed them and I signed it. I then I tried to escape and I was forced to be anyway. But it was interesting that I believed this person who appeared not to have a stake in the situation. And that happened to me another time too. Uh, one time I was deathly afraid that I was gonna be killed and dissected this horrible, horrible fate. So I jumped onto a garbage truck and I thought the garbage truck would take me out of the city and I would live in the garbage or something like that. This was my thought, right? It was like escape from New York. I had this belief, you know? And I jumped on the garbage truck and I said, drive, drive, drive. The guy, <laughs> he drove for a little while. And he's like, wait a minute, there's a person on the back of my garbage truck. So he stopped the garbage truck and he said, what are you doing? And I said, well, I think they're going to kill me. I think they're, uh, you know, you have to take me to the garbage and I'll hide out there. 
And he said, well, how old are you? I think I was 20 at the time. He says, I'm 20 years old. He says, well, those people don't look like they're going to kill you. Why don't you, you know, you could always get a bus ticket and go wherever you want. You know, you don't have to, there's no one forcing you to do anything. And just that, that ability of that person to step outside of a perspective of like, you have to do this. I listened to them, you know, and, and, and some clinicians were like that too. I suspect that a lot of the pomotherapists are like that too, that they, they're aware of their own perspective and they're not trying to impose like you must do this. Some therapists are like that. You know, some of the therapists I have, you have to do this. You're not going to get out of this hospital unless you do this and this and this. You know, I got some, a lot of that top down stuff. I had, I experienced that too. So I would say that. I don't know if others want to. I, I just want to talk about it briefly from the perspective of a teenager because I was diagnosed when I was 12. Um, so that is an interesting experience. I was very lucky because I was able to have access to like private therapists and things like that. But I think with working with adolescents, the lack of agency that you have and choices, I often felt like I was told like, you need to do this, you need to do that. And I never got asked what, what do you need? Um, which is super, I believe like as a therapist now, which I do work with young adults, you know, and I am constantly saying to them, well, what do you want? What do you need? What's going on with you? And I felt like a lot of people were making decisions for me, including clinicians and my parents and just no one ever stopped to ask. And I think it's incredibly important to do that with young people because, you know, they do have a voice and they do understand what's going on with them um, and they don't need to have the decisions made for them necessarily. What occurred to me in dealing when I was under 18, so I had no rights, well, duh, I felt persecuted. And I, if I were to be asked what would help you, I wouldn't know. I didn't know anything. As, you know, speaking was not my first language. I was like, bleh. Like, just being in contact with the outside world, making eye contact was like the worst. It's like, bleh, torture. Not being able to communicate. But one thing that I realized in that whole system of, of care, incarceration care, whatever, is that once the staff have decided that there's something wrong with you and they have no as much no clue what is going to help as anybody's guess right it's kind of like the adolescent preoccupation of like oh i am too fat when it's like you're starving yourself so this mental constant oh there's something wrong with me there is something wrong with me there's something wrong with me and i was nurtured on that there is something wrong with me I do not belong there's always something wrong with me I will never work out in making myself get to crackers at the store uh, the register is too stressful I cannot do this simple task you know walking is terrible and like I do not trust anything and this whole echo chamber of there's something wrong with me something wrong with me something wrong with me and the first time that's that broke right before I turned 18 I think there's this lady, she started out as an English major and she went into psychiatry and she was the, the boss of the whole state thing that I was in. And she's, she said to me, you know, you're choosing to go off your Medicaid, or I don't know what I was choosing to do. And you're choosing something clearly unhealthy, but remember that no matter where you go in life, that there's not something wrong with you physically or anything like this, manifestation that you just have a different perspective and that has been like the most powerful thing it was like damn straight 
damn straight that's right. And um, I think that if people were to be more embracing that idea that, you know, we are given a set of skills, a special certain set of skills to navigate this universe world, life, human experience, that, you know, we're, we're all just bumbling along as best we can. You know, it's kind of like uh, the whole mythology of my parents are the perfect people. No, they're not. They're people. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, I am a mental health person. Oh, you know, something must be wrong. No, no, I just have my ups, my downs. You know, I'm. It's everyone's got the mental health in them. It's a, it's a balancing act. It's like get over it. <laughs> if I, if I smelly if i'm smelly i i apologize just use some nose plugs thank you audience says, when I was first introduced to Pain and Brain, it was taking me quite a while to conceptualize all of this. That in itself kind of broke my heart later because I thought, why is community so hard to conceptualize? Why am I having to do all these translations? And then I started noticing in my own life that there's a different chance for, I'll just use the word, wellness in community. I'm just appreciating how much effect there is in that and to sort of challenge ourselves when we're busy trying to figure out why does it work, but it does. Yeah. Thank you. To go along with that, I was trying to think of songs that talked about this sort of community spirit and looking around for songs that talked about community, not just about individual selves. And uh, some of you may know this theme song to the TV show, Cheers. Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name And they're always glad you came You want to be where you can see Our troubles are all the same You want to be where everybody knows your name That tongue takes me to a few places. One, uh, my childhood where I watched a lot of TV because they didn't necessarily have a lot of other community. So I'd watch other people have community in TV shows. Also, you think you mentioned in a video, Tristan, that a friend told you that Painter Brain was a cool place to hang out. 
And uh, people who are going through hard times, they don't just need good therapists. They need cool places to hang out. And that can be hard to find. I mean, there's churches. I mean, there's... I never met a bar that was quite like Cheers is a cool place to hang out. But um, just the importance of cool places to hang out and the importance of gatherings. And that's something I think Pain and Brain does. Angela, you mentioned on Friday that you see it as socializing through art. I'm thinking of maybe a person who's hearing this and thinking about coming to the Baited Brain, um, but it's a scary thing to walk into a new place and a new community and wonder what's going to be there. And maybe they don't feel their art skills are particularly amazing to anybody. What are the practices and principles you keep in mind in making a cool place to hang out? Hello, I'm Naomi. Well, first of all, you say, hello, welcome. And that's James's job. Oh, that oh and then you turn it right to me. Huh? <laughs> just, just dump it on me. Oh, man, I don't know. Why, what am I supposed to? Okay, look, you played that song, and it especially that second stanza with the music changing like that, and it's all sappy and wonderful and 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 i'm sitting here and i'll tell you i'm crying i am crying from that song because that's exactly the feeling that we try to create and it's the feeling that happens at painted brain you arrive and if you've been there before uh, me, I'm terrible with names, and I really appreciate when other people introduce themselves to people so that I can kind of sneak in and, and pick up the name. But if I remember your name, I'm going to try to shout it out and, 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 and welcome you there. That's exactly the same feeling. I'm going to go ahead and tie it back. When I was in the hospital for a time, and we had an art group there and they told us, well, draw your album cover. What's, what's your album cover look like? And I drew this hand holding a rose and it was squeezing the stem so much that the thorns were making the hand bleed. And there was little drops of blood running down the arm and stuff like that. And the nurse who was there running the group, I could see this startled look in her face like, Oh my God, we got to take his shoelaces. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. She totally missed the rose. And that's what I wanted somebody to talk about. And it's like, wow, life is really, can be really beautiful, but it's really painful to hang on to. And I, I wanted to have that conversation with somebody and I couldn't even speak during that time. It just wasn't coming out and I was feeling so stifled. And so going back to Dave's quote right there, that, that art helps us express ourselves and helps us have a conversation. And if I had made that same drawing at Painted Brain, they would have noticed. Because I've seen other artwork come in similar to that, having that same expression, and we talk about it. That's what we talk about when we have those conversations. Thank you. I would say some of the practices we have of just like creating that environment Well, one, with our new space, we're really working on making it beautiful and colorful. I mean, I don't know how many mental health, I mean, even just a therapist office. Like sometimes I'm like, why do you have that one orchid that's like sad and your weird books and like this just feels very sterile and there's two chairs and it's freaking me out. (laughs) So, you know, James and I are really just pouring our hands and paints and whatever to make the space uh, really beautiful and everyone being a part of it. The other thing I just want to 
totally call out James on this because it's so awesome. You know, if new people come in and there's someone just sitting in the corner, James is constantly, Angela, go talk to that person. They're sitting in the corner. <laughs> come on, you go pay, they're, they're alone. You gotta go talk to them. So he is just always on top of all of us, you know, making sure that people are engaged and, you know, he has a really good eye for that and just making sure that everything is running smoothly when the rest of us are kind of running around. The other day we were having a meditation on Friday and I'm running around like feeling a little crazy and James was like, no, you need to sit down. Um, and I was like, okay, I guess I'll be part of the meditation. You know, so just creating that space and, and being very sensitive to each other. Um, you know, if someone isn't feeling so great, it doesn't seem like they are, you know, just saying, hey, you know, how can I support you? And sometimes it's just like you're supporting me by being here and that's all I need. One of the things that I want to bring up because Roxanne and Will have asked me to um, is art cart. And this is our newest way of engaging people through the arts and bringing people into our community. As I mentioned before, I'd worked in homeless services for a long time and, you know, really got to experience what a broken system we have in working with people experiencing homelessness. And one of the big things is how we outreach. A lot of people who are homeless had really bad experiences with our systems, just awful. I mean, we have just completely failed them as a population. You know, a lot of the outreaching can be, you know, I've seen it myself just incredibly. I remember when I worked in housing, it's like I'm yelling down Skid Row for my client, you know, get in the car, we're going to the housing authority, I got to get you housed. You know, and there's a sense of urgency that comes with being a, a homeless services provider, just not taking the time to really just stop and get to know the individual and, and how can we engage you in a very safe and trauma-informed way. You know, another example is uh, you see it all the time. And, and, and this, again, it's not blaming the agencies or the providers or anything because we got to do what we got to do to get people off the streets. But, you know, another example is there's a CES intake that you do uh, to see where people are prioritized for housing very personal questions I mean this thing used to be one page and now it's like 20 just asking horrifically intense things like what you know have you been sexually assaulted in the past year things like that and they're being asked these things in open spaces anyway so I'm saying all of this because you know we really see a need to be able to outreach in sort of a safe way and create a community um, in a safe way out in the streets. Dave built a literal cart um, out of wood. I'm very impressed with him sometimes. It's about the size of this table and it has shelves and all this like interesting, it's on wheels, the wheels actually lock. I mean, amazing engineering on Dave's part. Um, so what we've been doing is rolling this card out um, to MacArthur Park on homeless care days and other days as well, where a bunch of providers come, you know, you have uh, the HIV people doing needle exchanges and St. John's comes out to give vaccinations and you have the housing people. So it's just everyone coming together to try to connect with folks out in MacArthur Park. Um, so we're the new kids on the block and it, so far it's been going really well. Basically we have a piece of butcher paper that we roll out so people can come up and draw and just chat. Um, and we let them know about our community space so they can come to our community space if they want to. And it's a great way because we're connecting with them right on the spot. So if they want to come to our space, they already know us. We also are handing out hygiene packs. You know, again, just creating a very colorful sort of like safe environment, especially during these homeless care days when all this other craziness is going on and they're just trying to get their services and connecting um, where they can just come and just stop, chat, draw a flower, 
get a toothbrush and be on their way. And so far, it's been really amazing. Very, very welcomed uh, within the, the other agencies that are doing work. I think they all really see a need for it as well. There has to be other ways to outreach and connect with people on the streets other than just going up and saying, hey, do you need these services? Do you need resources? Here's like five million shelters and this, that and the other and go here on intake day. So, you know, just to slow it down a little bit for them. Of course, we have resources and a little thing that I hand out, but it's like, okay, you know, how can I connect you? We had actually on Friday a good case example. There was a kid, he must have been under 18. He showed up and started doing these amazing jack-o'-lanterns on the cart because it's Halloween. I don't think he's been connected with anyone. And so we got to talking and then we sort of started asking him, like, what do you need? What's going on? Pointing him to the different people and like what they could provide. And, you know, that was a really great example of like what this can do. Um, and then he went and started talking to everyone else and getting information. And But we were like the first stop. You know, he noticed our car and was like, wow, this is cool. And just grabbed a Sharpie and started drawing. So it's really special. Um, but yeah, that's our latest way of, of trying to create this space that we've created in our community space outside in the world. Someone from the audience off mic asks here, I've heard about you guys for years and I've always wanted to come check it out. How does that work? So the answer is you just drop on by. I feel like it's it's really funny because people constantly ask that and I feel like it's really hard for people to grasp what that means. Like you literally just come through the door. There is no assessment process. I mean, we'll ask you your name and to sign in and, you know, what do you want to do? Literally, that is... If you want to, right, you don't even have to sign in. Right, Tristan is right. You don't have to sign in. But, you know, on our sign-in sheet, the question is, what do you want to do? Like, what do you like? So I, you know, I always encourage other providers to bring people because I always say myself, I mean, even coming today, like, this is nerve-wracking. I don't know everyone the parking was hard. I even brought my boyfriend along for support, you know. It's hard for even someone like myself to be able to just, you know, go somewhere new and talk to new people. It's really scary and daunting and I don't know where to go. Like this is a big campus. So, you know, I'm just using that as an example of like what it what it must feel like to most people, especially if you've been so removed socially and isolated, how terrifying it is to go to a new place. So, you know, I really encourage people to actually bring anyone who might be interested or send people in pairs or like we're doing now on Friday where we're going to go out and outreach this young man who wants to come to Painted Brains. So we can do that as well. Someone asks, is there a minimum age? So you do have to be an adult with a few exceptions. If you want to come to our space, we want people to be at least 18. The reason being is we, we are creating a space for people to socialize and things can become a little bit complicated if someone is under 18. So especially because we're encouraging friendships and things like that. Yeah, so generally we don't allow people under 18. So it's uh, 4.53. We'll have uh, 10 minutes. Are there anything, is there anything we haven't talked about you want to make sure we talk about? What kind of art do we do? Visual art, drawing, mixed media, music, poetry, writing, creative writing, script writing, dancing, coding. computer coding, photography, photojournalism, news journalism, Fashion. publishing. We are a newspaper uh, as well as a magazine. Costuming, fashion, fashion photography. Oh, Speakers Bureau is another thing that we do and teach. Yeah, but as, as the activities. 
all of these things. We do seminars. We had, hmm? <laughs> we teach advocacy as an art, <laughs> the art of advocacy, right? That's a thing. We do, we do seminars and we sponsor people. We did a photography seminar where we had professional working photographers come in and teach a group of 20 people, some of them who had never picked up a camera, who didn't have access to the technology of cameras. Can you imagine? They didn't even have access to it. And we gave them all cameras. These professionals came in, showed them how to use them. Later, they the and they got to keep the cameras. Yes, they were their cameras now. And they used them to take beautiful pictures. One person discovered their talent for photography and became one of our featured artists in the following gallery, which just was an, an amazing discovery. Later, we did a journalism and photojournalism a seminar for six or eight weeks. Uh, one of the activities that we did was taking pictures through a microscope. And that was that led to whole, all other conversations. So that. <laughs> One of the visions that we are really seeing ourselves going is focusing more and more on social enterprise and being a sustainable business. Um, we already are doing a little bit of that, a lot of that actually, especially through our coding workshops. But we really want to make sure that this is a community that we're all contributing to. And a way that we do that is help new contributors to take on more leadership roles or to get paid. One great example right now is our resident artist, Larry. He, oh yeah, he did our logo. Basically what he's been working on is a coloring book and Painted Brain is helping him put it together and publish it. Um, we just had a guy that I met where did we meet him? At, so, at a resource fair. And he came up to us and was like telling us he had been in jail for 25 years since he was like 17 years old. And then he had written a children's book while he was in jail. And I was like, great, let's get you in. Let's do it. So, you know, connected him with the right people. And, and, now, we're and now we're connecting him with an illustrator to illustrate the book. And then we're going to help him publish it. Saying all of this, because that is really where we want to be headed is to really helping people be able to uh, sustain themselves and and sustain us as a business and that's the direction we're going in and it's very exciting so stay tuned i read online about contributors who don't like to make a lot of eye contact or even talk with people at pain and brain but they do like to go there to do art around others and be close with others and uh, it got me thinking that this is a, a cool place to hang out. People maybe don't want to talk to people yeah. or maybe don't want to look at people, but do want to do art with others and that it can reach some people who aren't reached in other formats. I was a young person and, and when I first got in the mental health system, I'm a middle-aged person now, but um, when I first got here, you know, it was like I saw people who were 20 or 30 years older than me and they were still stuck in their life and there was a lot of gloom and doom, you know, a lot of mental health centers there's no interesting activities. People are just watching television, smoking cigarettes, drinking like really bad coffee, going to seven, <laughs> eating out of 7-Eleven. Like, you know, a lot of our population is really, you know, not doing well and the outcomes are not good. I, I didn't find pain and brain when I was a young person, but 
it is an interesting alternative to that. You know, you don't have to live this sort of dead end life, you know, um, just because you have a major diagnosis, whatever that means anyway, because you have those experiences, you don't have to end up in this sort of dead end life. And I think some of the most interesting people I ever met, I met in mental health centers and mental health centers themselves are so boring and ridiculous. It's like all these interesting people are like trapped in these systems that are really degrading, I think, to the human experience. What's cool about pain and brain is that it's very dynamic and we have a leadership model that Dave has that if you want to try to do something, Dave will meet you halfway. And unless you do something really crazy uh, or out of the ordinary that is not going to work, he pretty much lets you run with it as long as you stay within certain boundaries. So those two things together, one, that there's a lot of young people and there's a lot of creative people, and two, that the, that the leadership model is very open-ended and um, unless you really screw up, you, you can try something new. And that, that idea that something new is, is okay and, and really honors these really dynamic people that I think are part of the mental health community. Someone from the audience says, it feels like it's an opportunity to redefine success. Instead of being successfully well, whatever that means, or making a lot of money, it's an opportunity to taste what a different kind of success can mean in community. Well, it's really honoring that journey because wherever we are, that's where we're at. Whatever direction you want to go in is your own decision. And if that direction is your concept of wellness, then we're going to be there to help you out and do whatever we can to, you know, keep you wherever you want to be. An audience member asks why Dave Leon and Eli Israelian, founders of Pain and Brain, uh, aren't here. Oh, they're getting honored by YBCA as the top 100 influencers. Another person there is Trevor Noah, who is getting honored, right? Not to say that it isn't an amazing honor to be here in front of you people. Because <laughs> it also is. Yes. Well, you can't spell painted brain without spelling pain. <laughs> Well, it's just this last song to play by the Evens, who are banned from Washington, D.C. It's called I Do Myself. Can you leave? Get up, get moving. Do you believe in where you're going? When I run out of things to do, I do myself. So let's go out. Let's trust our weakened legs to conspire, still like to aspire. When I run out of things to do, I do myself. Can you leave? Get up. This song made me think of uh, one of the most soulful musicians I've ever met in person, which is Barry Garno, a friend of my dad's, who was a Vietnam vet and was diagnosed with uh, rapid cycling bipolar disorder. He passed away a few years ago. He said one of the most helpful advice he got from a psychiatrist was just one word, and it was do, for when he was depressed. And I think about this line, when I run out of things to do, I do myself. 
when you talk about people in mental health centers who have nothing to do and the ways that having nothing to do makes people do themselves and get into some of these cycles. Um, and I think about pain and brain, you provide people things to do. And there's a doing that goes on there that is protective and preventative from some of the ways people do themselves. Sometimes doing the same old thing every week gets a little boring. You start to forget, why am I doing this? Why is this on my schedule? Why have I committed myself to doing this thing? And it just made me think of this summer. At the beginning of summer, we were in between spaces. We were transitioning spaces. So we spent the whole summer without a headquarters. And instead of shutting down, instead of just going uh, digital through the web, we decided that, okay, well, we're just going to go nomad and we're going to pop up in different places and do our art group. And we're going to have a roving artist salon and we're going to pop up at cafes. We're going to pop up at museums and we're just going to represent and we're going to show, hey, this is what Painted Brain does. And we're okay doing it out in public because there's nothing private about it. And there's nothing weird about a bunch of people socializing and talking about some really serious mental health stuff in uh, these open environments. And it was really great. We went to The Hammer, which was just amazing. The Radical Women exhibition right now led to some really fascinating conversations about identity and how what we're doing to build our lives, what we do constructs a life and what that means and how those two things go together. We went to LACMA, the Tar Pits. We went to various cafes and just hung out there. We went to uh, Grand Central Station, uh, Union Station. What that allowed us to do was take these people who, uh, who may have difficulty getting around myself is one i have difficulty going to new spaces because i get very embarrassed and i feel like i don't belong uh, but having this group knowing that this group was going to be there in this public space made it so empowering and made it yes i'm gonna get there yeah i don't care if i've never taken the train before or i've never taken public transit before I'm doing it because these guys are waiting for me because they're they're going to be there and I will be safe once I get there. And going through the experience, you're going to get there and you can talk about it. And it's freeing. It's uh, encouraging for these new experiences. So we're always trying to improve everybody's experience. And that was a great opportunity for it. So in a way, I'm really happy that we didn't have a space this summer. But I'm much more happy that we have a space now. <laughs> Uh, knowing about your organization from when Kathy Adams told me about it, when I went down to the VA and I played at the Vets, and reading some of the things on Facebook, it's really been a source of inspiration for me. I daydream about it. You know, I daydream about what you do and, and what is it like there and how, what kind of scenes does it happen with the people there? And they, they give people stipends and you can be a contributor. Like, this is so interesting. I don't know anything else like this. It's a real source of inspiration, and I'm sure not just for myself. Uh, in a different approach to mental health than what I've, a lot of other programs I've seen, a lot of other what counts as community mental health. And so thank you for the work that you do. Thanks again to Kazuki, James, Tristan, Naomi, and Angela. For more information about Painted Brain, you can visit them on their website, paintedbrain.org. They also have very active Facebook and Instagram accounts. 
For the show notes for this episode and to see other episodes of Banter Radio, go to the website sfbantr.org. I've got another episode on the way featuring a conversation I had with Art Fisher and Nancy McDonald uh, in Nova Scotia, taking a critical look at the trauma-informed movement. Uh, So stay tuned in the next month or so for that. I did the intro and outro music here, and the instrumental pieces during the episode were from members of the Painted Brain, Dave Leon and Tristan Scrimmon. Dave did the double bass pieces, and Tristan did the tonga drum and the Peony 250A, which we'll hear next. Thanks for listening. <laughs>